0: I want to thank Kyle and Macy for uh, helping us lead worship this morning as we uh, find ourselves in a, in a place of transition. And uh, what a blessing it is just to uh, um, you know, hear and to be able to see people step up and be able to lead. And um, I'm just very thankful for them. Um, this morning I'm going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 6. And, um, you know, our secular society teaches us that things come first and God's kingdom comes far behind. We see it all over the place. You know, when things come first, though, you need to understand something. Worry is a constant companion. We worry about things and worry is kind of like a rocking chair. I mean, it'll give you something to do, but it's not going to take you anywhere. See, when God's kingdom comes first, faith is a constant companion. I love that because faith crowds out the worry that comes to our minds. It is our faith that we stand on. It is our faith that brings us comfort. Now, I want to put you at ease this morning um, this passage does talk about uh, storing up uh, your treasure and where your treasure is, your heart will be there also. And I want to put your mind at ease that my goal is not to try to pry money out of you this morning. You can already give a sigh of relief. We've already taken the offering. Okay? So let that go. Okay? Um, but, but actually, I want to persuade you. I want you to understand that... that how important it is that we hear what Jesus has to say and that we implement that in our lives. It's very important. We desperately need to listen up as a nation and as a church and as individuals. You see, according to Jesus, the way that you manage your money, the way that we manage our money, and the way that we manage our minutes is very important. To God. And there's spiritual issues. The way we manage our money, the way we we talk about our time, those are spiritual issues. And in the Gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus speaks about money over a hundred times. In the Gospel of Matthew, you see, biblical stewardship is giving back to God that which is His in the first place. And then managing our minutes and our money for His glory. Doing what we do for His glory. See, when we do give a tithe or give of our time, we're really only giving back to God what is already His. You don't know how much time you have. You don't even know how much money you have. You may think you do. But you see, God is the one who takes care of all of it. There's a wonderful teaching about God, our Father, that stands behind our Savior's words in this passage. I mean, theologians refer to it as the biblical doctrine of God's providence. God's providence. I mean, the Bible tells us that God is our great provider. He is the one who takes care of all of our needs. He is the one who provides for us. It teaches us in James 1:17, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. It comes down from the Father of lights whom, with whom there is no variance and shadow of turning. See, God in his providence, he provides all of creation, all that is needed for all of creation. Isn't that a wonderful truth? We read that from God's word that he takes care of us. That he's the one who has provided all of that. Over in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and following, it says, "...for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together." You see, I think this is vitally important. And let me suggest to you that a way that you can tell when normal concern has become worry. You see, it becomes, in its sinful state, it becomes worry. And it becomes sinful whenever it's a product of taking God's providence out of the equation. You see, instead of trusting in God's providential care, letting God take care of us, we doubt Him and we shift our trust over to our own sense of control instead. We say, I know better for me what I need than what God does. And we want to take control of that. And when we do, then that faith becomes worry. Because now we're trusting in ourselves instead of God's providential care. You see, we believe that it's all up to us to provide what God himself has promised to provide us. Those who trust him. And so we become our own provider. And whenever we remove our sovereign Lord from his proper place on the throne of our, in our lives... ...and we try to exercise our own control over things... Worry is the eventual result. See, we trade our faith for worry because we want to be in control. And whenever we remove Him, worry is the result because we're horribly poor substitutes for God, our provider. I mean, worry, in other words, is the result of ignoring God's providence. I mean, the things that we have, the things that God has given to you, He has given to you in His providence. It's not because you went out and earned them. He gave you the ability to do that. He gave you the breath to do that. He gave you the strength to do that. So what you have belongs to Him. What each of us has belongs to Him. What this church has belongs to Him. And we trust Him in that. See, worry says to God... We don't trust you. It says that we don't believe he will really take care of us. It says we don't really believe that that, that he, he keeps his word or that he will do what he says he will do. It says that we know more than he does about our situation. You know, I read somewhere recently that worry slanders every promise of God. See, this topic is timely and it's needed because, listen, anxiety is a biological, emotional, and psychological response to current national and world affairs, and it's running at an all-time high. Our anxiety. You see, more than ever, people today are worrying themselves sick. But what is not happening is God is not worrying about our situation. He knows where we're at and he knows what's going on. I love that because it means that we have a God who provides for his own. In our section today on the Sermon on the Mount this morning, Jesus was teaching about money and its ability to take the place of God in a disciple's life. <laughs> he was telling his listeners, most of whom were poor, that their security could not be found in money or possessions. And some of them probably thought, well, what then are we going to find our security in? How are we going to be secure? How are, where are we supposed to find our security? And that question confronts Every person on this earth. Where do we find our security? Where do we find our security? You see, for the disciple of Jesus Christ, security is found in serving God and seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. See, in this teaching, Jesus is reversing. He's turning it on his head, the value system and the security system of our world. I mean, he's saying that God's kingdom should come first and things will naturally follow as God's provision. Folks, this is foreign from many people's thought in our world today. Oh, it's all about us. It's all about me. It's all about what I can get. It's all about the things and all about the stuff. See, the challenge for us today is how to focus our lives on God while surrounded by materialistic consumerism. Oh, people are spending more than they've ever spent. They're in debt more than they've ever been. And they don't seem to care because I can provide whatever I want when I need it rather than relying on Almighty God to provide for what my needs are. See, I do have a text today, and I want to read that text. It's in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. And I want to read down through 24, and then we'll move on from there. Verse 19 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body so that if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So the question is to serve or to be served. See, Jesus challenged his disciples to consider whether they had their treasures or did their treasures have them. I think that's important. I mean, when we have treasures, we can use them in God's kingdom and for God's purposes. But when our treasures have us, we are used by our treasure. See, Jesus illustrated this by talking about and referring to the eye. The eye is the part of the body that acts as a lamp by which a person is able to see. And the treasures the, the earth offers are designed to capture the eye. I mean, Peter says we are, we are tempted by the, the, the lust of the eyes. Oh, that's shiny. Ooh, that's pretty. Oh, that's new. I want one of those. I, oh, look at what my neighbor has. Man, I would love to have one of those. And so what happens is it becomes sin because we begin to covet. And we want what someone else has. The treasures they offer and they're designed to capture the eye and to lure the affection of the person. I mean, recognizing the true treasure depends on the spiritual quality of our eye. If our eye is good, if it is clear, then the light comes in and we are able to see and it, it illuminates the whole body. <laughs> but if the eye is bad, if the eye is evil, then the body is filled with darkness. That deceives the disciple about the, the, the place of things in their lives when the eye is bad things are treasured first. When the eye is evil things are treasured first. But when the eye is good God and his kingdom and his righteousness are put first and things come somewhere down the line. See it's a clear it is clear from this teaching of Jesus that a disciple cannot have two masters. There can only be one master. There can only be one Lord. And his name is Jesus. Amen. You know, a disciple will either try to live a life serving his possessions or will live a life serving God with his possessions. But a disciple can't do both. And you we'll only have one master see all disciples of Christ must examine we have to examine our spending lifestyle we have to look at the check register we have to look at what we have spent and when we have spent it and what it was for because in order to serve the lord with our possessions that becomes important It means that we will differentiate between those things that are necessities and those things that are luxuries. Those needs versus our wants. See, if we neglect the poor, if we neglect the the orphans, if we neglect the widows, our lifestyle speaks volumes about our treasure and about our hearts. To serve or to be served. Moving on, let's look at verses 25 and following. He says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to this life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory... Clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will He not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry, then, saying, "What shall, we, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing?" For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. To serve or to be served? To worry or to trust? See, Jesus emphasized that we shouldn't be worried about having enough earthly provisions. Oh, but we are faced with it every day, aren't we? See, what I would suggest to you today is what I just read is different from what we experience every day. Because we are consumed with food. Look how many restaurants are around. Look at all of the things, you know. I mean, we don't even finish a meal before we're thinking about the next meal we're going to eat. And right now you may be thinking, hurry up preacher, it's time for lunch. That's our society. That's our culture. That's who we are. That's who we've become. We think about what we eat, we think about what we wear, we think about all of these things. But worry produces a self-fulfilling prophecy. You see, it turns our heart away from God and we begin to worry about things. And the more we worry, the less likely we are to see God at work and to experience God's blessing. Because we want to take care of it ourselves. See, Jesus taught that we can lose our sense of value when we worry about these things. I mean, one person noted, he said that worry is irreverent because it disobeys a direct command of Jesus Christ. Do not worry. He said that worry is irrelevant because we we, we can't add one hour to our life by worrying about it. And he said that worry is irresponsible because each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen? Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, what I would say is big worry equals little faith. Big worry equals little faith. But you see, disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't have to run after these things like others do. That's what he's telling us. You don't have to chase this stuff. The Gentiles do that. The pagans do that. All we need to do as his disciples, as children of the Almighty, is to ask God who responds to us as any loving parent would respond. I mean, when Jesus taught the the parable of the sower and the seeds... He said this in Matthew 13. He said, "The deceitfulness of wealth can destroy one's life." I mean, human experience validates Jesus' teachings in Matthew 19 about how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the reason is is because we put all of our eggs in one basket, and then we begin to see that basket as our provider. When that's not our provider. That's the gift, not the giver. We worship the giver. We worship the provider. We worship Almighty God. We worship Him because He and He alone can be our provider. He made us. He created us. He leads us. He guides us. I mean, Jesus put it like this. He said, birds... They're everywhere they expend lots of energy building nests gathering food to take it back to their young <laughs> but it's God who feeds and clothes them I mean when Jesus' disciples are responsible to carry out the proper ways of life <laughs> as ordained by God God is faithful to carry out his end of the order He created it all. He knows how it's supposed to work. And we think that we know better how it's supposed to work than he does. And he says, well, get on with your bad self then. And that's why we find ourselves in the mess we're in. Is because we've turned our back on our provider, we've turned our back on our creator, and we've said, We know better how to deal with our lives than you do, even though you created us, you wrote the handbook, you've you given it all to us, and yet we say, We know better than you. How dare we? You want to know why the world is full of anxiety and anxious about what's going on on the national stage and on the, the world stage? We've turned our back on our provider. And we've said we know better. I mean, humanity. We are made in God's image. Humanity is the crown of God's creation. And our needs will be received and and, and will receive appropriate attention from God. He knows that. Why can't we be more like the bird's? And just do what he designed us to do. Rather than worrying about how much we have or how long it's going to last. Because the reality is, is he's going to take care of us no matter what. He loves us that much. He's going to provide for us. To serve, to be served, to worry or to trust... And to seek first or to seek last. Look at verse 33. It says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I mean, Jesus is emphasizing here The priority of his disciples' life. The priority of the the life of a disciple is his kingdom and his righteousness. Let the rest go. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. (laughs) See, Jesus lumped together his kingdom and his righteousness with all these things by putting them in the proper order. His kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things. They come down there somewhere down the list. You see Gentiles and pagans run after them and making things their priority. But the disciple is supposed to run after his kingdom and his righteousness and wait on God to provide these things. Wait on God to provide these things. We don't like that. We don't like to wait for anything. But maybe God's up to something. Maybe God is working it out for our good. Maybe God has something better than what we can provide for us. If we will wait on Him and seek His kingdom and seek His righteousness and not worry about all these things, but we are so... to, to making ourselves the provider because I've got what I've got here and this all belongs to me, hogwash. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. You know, it's interesting. I read about a tour guide that made an interesting observation about a group of Americans that were touring famous places. And this tour guide said that um, when the buses drove up to the museum, at least a third of the people in the tour bus entered the museum foyer and, and began to look around for the museum gift shop. And they went into the gift shop and they, they found objects that, that, that were, were from the, the museum gift shop that represented or were labeled in such a way that the museum considered it one of its well-known objects. And the tourists then returned to the tour bus without ever entering the museum galleries. The tour guide observed that such is the superficiality of Americans today. We want the souvenirs without the experience. We want to tell people this is where we've been. This is what we did without actually doing it. And folks, that's a scary thought. Because how many of us want a stamp on our ticket to heaven, but we don't actually have the experience with the giver of life. It's so important. I mean, Jesus warned us about those that go through life wanting the the souvenirs without having the experience with him. I mean, a disciple is to seek God first and His kingdom and the souvenirs are going to be added later. See, we should live each day with the faith that God knows our needs and will provide what we need. God may not provide all we want in terms of prosperity and affluence, But God promises to to provide all these things necessary for survival and life. And when we trust Him, we eliminate that worry out of our life. See, it's often difficult to reconcile this teaching with God's provision when we see such a great disparity between things in America, if you will, and much of the rest of the world. I mean, how does God intend to provide for believers in poverty stricken areas and under circumstances like that? I mean, He made it clear in Matthew 20, 25, excuse me, Matthew 25, that a person blessed by my Father, a person who has experienced God's blessing of eternal life, will be a channel of provision of these things for God. They will use what God has given them to be a blessing to others. You see, less fortunate people are fed and clothed through disciples who understand how to put God's kingdom first and his righteousness first. And God blesses believers, disciples, so that we can be a blessing to others. He gives us an abundance so that we can be a blessing to others. See, in my experience, I would say my limited experience, people who have personified kingdom priorities with their material goods, with the things God has given them, they have lived in a modest home. They have lived in a modest home, they have driven older vehicles, they wore their clothes for years, they took in people, they served others in mission work, and they gave aid to the poor. These were people who understand what the kingdom is all about. And really, they made a choice to live a modest lifestyle rather than seeking to get all they can from every avenue they can. So that they could put God's kingdom first and his righteousness. See, it's unfortunate that some people involuntarily put God's kingdom and his righteousness last. By virtue of being trapped in a money-focused lifestyle. What I'm talking about is through the, through the, the use of easy credit... Or simply by ignoring the needs of others, they get stuff that they really don't need. And then when it comes time to put the kingdom first, they have nothing to give. And so by virtue of their choices, they have put God's kingdom last rather than first. And brothers and sisters, it happens every day. We call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ. But if we're not putting his kingdom first, then we're not disciples of Jesus Christ. Because he said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That's what we need to be about. Seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. And I can't make it any plainer. But putting God's kingdom and His righteousness first means that we will not wear ourselves out in the unnecessary race to accumulate things. And neither will we worry ourselves to an early grave. You know, Max Licato, he has written a little devotional book for mothers. And in it, he has a selection cleverly entitled, What Ifs and Howls? The burden of worry. He asked what a young lady might very well ask. What if I marry a guy who snores? Or how will we pay for the baby's tuition? Commenting that. On Jesus' statement here in 634, Lucato he, he uses a rendering. He says, God will help you deal with whatever hard times come up when the time comes. He goes on to give sound advice to mothers, especially focusing on the phrase when the time comes. For instance, I don't know what I'll do if my husband dies you will when the time comes when my children leave the house I don't think I can take it it won't be easy but, but strength will arrive when the time comes we need to understand that God is our provider and he will give us what we need when we need it when the time comes See, the key is this. Meet today's problems with today's strength. Don't start tackling tomorrow's problems with today's strength. You simply have enough for today. So place your hope and your faith in God. He has no record of failures. That's the God we serve. He is faithful. He can be trusted. And I must warn you this morning that it's becoming increasingly difficult to trust Christ in our materialistic society. You see, our neighbors here in the United States think that they don't need Christ for they have the uncertain security of money. Hey, life is good. I got everything I need. I'll be fine. I don't need Jesus. That's what they say. I'm good. I'm good. Just, just leave me alone. If that's good works for you, then, then great, but I'm good. And what they're doing is they're putting their, their certainty, their security in this uncertainty of money. And they think that that is their security, but that is not their provider. You see, it's becoming harder and harder to convince them that they need a Savior. Jesus said it this way. He said, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. He said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's The trusting in riches that makes it difficult in a materialistic-minded society and person to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior because they don't see themselves as needing a Savior. Why would I need to be saved? I've got this. You remember the rich farmer in Luke 12 who put his trust in all the material things that he had hoarded up so that, so that he thought, well, I can eat, drink, and be merry because I've got all that I need. And God said to him, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Riches, wealth never bring security. But let me take it a step further. Riches or wealth does not bring happiness either. Often people struggle all of their lives for material things, scratching, clawing to get more, to put it away so that I will someday be secure. And then discover too late that money, the money that they have, it can buy a beautiful house, but it can't buy a home. They can buy a beauty rest mattress, but they can't buy sleep. They can buy food, but they can't buy an appetite. They can buy medicine, but not necessarily health. And if they turn to religion, they can buy a church, but, but not heaven. And they can even buy a cross, but they can't buy a Savior. See, if you're here today without Christ... I want you to know that salvation is not in things. Spiritual peace is not in earthly comforts. Happiness is not in money and heaven is not in material things. See, salvation, our salvation results in peace and joy and heaven And that salvation can only be found in Jesus Christ. You will never be satisfied until you find your life in him. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And I thank you for your word and how it challenges us. And Father, I know that there's a lot of anxiety in our country. There's a lot of anxiety in the world. Father, there's a lot of anxiety in our homes. There's a lot of anxiety in our churches and in our lives. Lord, I pray that even today, even in this moment, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and that we we would see that apart from you, we can do nothing. That, Father, we would put our trust in you. Father, that our faith would be increased. Father, that, that you, Lord Jesus, would be our treasure. Father, that... As we focus on you as a body, as individuals, as disciples, that all the cares of this world would grow strangely dim. And Father, that the light that you bring would shine in our hearts. And Father, our our hearts would illuminate from within. And Father, others would see the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Not in our retirement plans, not in our bank accounts, not even in our church. But, Father, that they would see that our hope is in you, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that if there is someone here that has put their trust in other things, that today they would be done with that and they would put their faith and their trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would confirm these words in each of our lives. And Father, that we would, in obedience, follow you more closely and seek your kingdom and your righteousness first. And Father, that you would provide all of the other things that are needed somewhere down the line. Father, I pray that we as your people would have a heart for you. God, that we would desire you more than anything. Father, that we would put our desires, our preferences, our our wants aside. And just let you provide exactly what we need every moment of every day. And Father, that we would walk in that grace. Father, that our faith would be increased and that we would see the things that you do and how you provide for us and that would result in more praise and more glory going to you, Father. Lord, we love you. Help us to be the disciples that we need to be for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.